The first reading is from Amos, the fifth chapter. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like the waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of the Lord. Our psalm for today is Psalm 70. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. The second reading is from 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel for today is according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus then said, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. The wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. 
But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the gospel of our Lord. All right, so driving through some storm-ravaged recovery, um, recovering Pensacola, I saw large roadside signs. They were, you know, the 40 feet across, the 20 feet high, those big signs that you see advertisements on the side of the road. I saw some of these signs in different places in the community. A lot of times these signs had a picture of a, of a firefighter, maybe a, a police officer, an EMS unit. And they had some of that in the maybe equipment behind it. And then on the other side were words. And so that was the image on the billboard. And the words and their message was this. The first 72 are on you. That was a public um, announcement on behalf of the leaders in the community communicating to the people in their communities that, well, we are here to, to rescue you. We're, we're here to help you. And we will do that to the best of our abilities. But know this, when the hurricane arrives, if you've chosen to stay in your home, the first 72 hours of all that you need to live of all that you need to survive, the first 72 hours, they are your responsibility. I thought, wow, in a world where people always expect someone to come in and save them from their bad decisions, this was a very clear statement. The first 72 hours, they're on you. It's your decision. Will you be prepared or not? Well, that message swirled in my head as I'm driving around and doing different things. It kind of kept being in my head, echoing in my head as we're doing work during the day because I could see that a lot of these people, they were prepared. I mean, they had things on their, their houses where they could um, close these metal things and latch them so their glass would never break. They had other ways of protecting the glass items. They had ways of gathering stuff in their garages. They had stacks of water. They had big buckets. They said, well, that's where we keep some of our food items. And no matter what happens, we can have those. So preparation was a part of their way of thinking. And so that linked with Matthew 25, the one we read today, verse six. It said, at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, Jesus. Come out to meet him. Idea like church. Here comes Jesus. Get ready to meet him. So that's thing in my head with that 72. The message is for the church, for our friends, for our family, for the, our country, for the world. Every day is a good day to personally prepare for the coming of the Lord. By lives of righteousness and holiness, we prepare for the Lord. Now, how does that come out of this lesson? It's this Matthew 25, this chapter that we have. This, this last chapter of, of, in, in 25 is, is happening just before Jesus will have his, his last supper, his betrayal, his arrest, um, the, the abuse, the torture, the crucifixion. These are the last public teachings that Jesus has to share. And he brings these words up. In this chapter, Jesus is using a marriage example and a wedding tradition that, for the most part, our world just is very unfamiliar with. 
When he's talking about marriage and bridegrooms and, and virgins, that stuff is like, well, what are you saying? It, it just, it's awkward at best at times. And so I thought maybe today would be a good day to review what they knew and understood marriage. So how it began marriage. An ancient Jewish marriage involved a prospective bridegroom visiting the father of a prospective bride. You know, if this person wanted to marry this bride, the very first step was you got to go talk to dad. Then if he found dad that he would state to the father, I would like to marry your daughter and I'd like to ask her hand in marriage. Now, if the father looked at him, no doubt mom and daughter in the vicinity looking at him, if, if he agreed that the match would take place, then they began a negotiation of price that the young man would pay for his bride or his daughter. The final act of this price negotiation was an acceptance. The acceptance went like this. The bridegroom, his friend would come in, friends would come in, and they would bring a, a, a container of wine, and he'd set down a nice glass, and they would pour wine into that glass, and they would set it on the family table. Now, if, if the um, bride who was watching with the wife over there, if they were watching, if the bride came out, the prospective bride came out, and she took the cup, and she took a drink from it, that means that the covenant of marriage, this contract of life in marriage, was accepted. She accepted it. Then, seeing that, she would go, and then he would take the cup, and he would take his drink. And that means from that day on, the covenant of marriage was established. She was his bride. He was her husband. Now, if images and thoughts about Holy Communion are coming to your mind, good. The price of Christ, the Christ that the Son of God paid to, to, to buy his bride, us, the church, was his blood on a cross. And we get that in communion. He presents the cup. We drink from it. He sheds his blood. Covenant established price paid. We are his. He is ours. The groom would pay the price, the agreed upon price, establishing that from that moment on, they are regarded as husband and wife. From that moment on, the bride sat or set apart exclusively for her husband. And this was a legally binding contract that it could only be undone through a divorce proceeding on proper grounds. When the first stage of marriage was completed, the groom would announce, as now the bride has gone over to maybe a different room with mom over there, another family over there. The groom would announce for them to hear, for everybody to hear, I am going to prepare a place for you. And I am going to come back and take you to that place. When you've heard those words in Bible studies or in worship, you should have had those, had those things been um, familiar words because they are from John's gospel. As Jesus is getting ready for his last days and hours, last hours with them, he tells them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says that to his disciples. And, and they say, well, and, and, and I'm going to come back for you so that where I am, there you will be always. He says that to his disciples in John. So the, the idea of the marriage and the themes of marriage are just interwoven throughout these scriptures. 
Now, that said, after he made that announcement, the usual practice was for the young man then to return to his father's house and there at his father's house, build an addition to his father's house that would serve as their initial home. Now, the father would not allow his son to skimp any work necessary to build a good home just because he was eager to get married. Yeah? If this is a beautiful girl and he wants to get married to her like yesterday, it's like, sorry, son, you got to do your preparations first. And the father made sure that that happened. He had to get the father's approval about the home before he could consider it for his bride. Again, are you hearing echoes of Jesus in the New Testament? I'm hoping you are. So now in these small communities of that time, friends, families, and neighbors, they would all know what's going on. They know that this guy's building a house. He's getting married. This is how it always works in our society. So he's building it up. And then they would, he would be securing the supplies and doing all the work to build this home, preparing for it. And then they would ask him, so, hey, tell us, when's the date of the wedding? And the groom would have to reply, only my father knows. Have you ever heard that? With end time talk, only the Father knows. The groom would reply that. Those words are spoken by Jesus to the people every time they asked him, so when is the day of the Lord? When is the last day? When is the day that you're going to return? Return. And Jesus would answer them, only my Father knows. Now this is also a period of time that the bride... Is she's being trained by mom and aunts and the family, you know, being trained and prepared to take on her role as being the wife, as the matriarch of the house. Very important work. He's learning on how to prepare and work and be a husband in his house. She's learning how to be a wife and a bride in her, in her house. And this, this got me thinking, the Holy Spirit has inspired many lessons throughout all the Old Testament and New Testament about how to prepare God's people to be his bride, how to be uh, honorable to him as a bride. And then driving to Florida, I mean, my, my wife has a Honda Civic where I can plug my phone in and I can put the Bible app and I can read. And so I'm listening to First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Old Testament. Okay, New Testament, John, Matthew, Romans, Acts. I'm listening to these books. All, 12 hours down, 12 hours back, just listening to stuff. And there's a consistent piece throughout all the scriptures, all of them linked to this. For us to be a people that's prepared, holy and blameless and righteous for our son, for, our, for the father's son to return. Genesis. No, I need to pause. I almost skipped over this. The idea of holiness. Sometimes we use the word holiness, but we don't always get some of the meaning to it. So the idea for holiness, if you're going to think of the word holiness, this is what it means. That you are set apart for a divine purpose. So church body of Christ, brides of Christ, the people married to Jesus, we are to have lives that are holy. They were to be set apart for a divine purpose. We're not set apart for the world's purpose. We're not set apart for the distractions of the evil ones on earth. We are set apart for God's divine purpose. That's holiness. Now, righteousness, it's a word that is awkward for us sometimes as well, but righteousness, the best way of considering this is right with Godness. 
And right with God means whatever God does, you do. If he takes a step to the right, you take a step to the right. If he says take a step to the left, you take a step to the left. If he says bow, you bow. He says live, you live. Whatever God's commands say to do, we do. Whatever God's commands say avoid doing, we avoid doing. We follow the law and the will and the, the love and the heart of our God and not the lies and the evil in the world. So holiness, we're set apart for God. Righteousness, we are to live according to God's plans. That's the people we're to be. Genesis chapter 18, it says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness. Proverbs 21, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Right? Do loving deeds. Just don't talk about it. Micah chapter 6, has he not told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. Ephesians chapter 1, Jesus chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Last one, Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3, so that he may establish your hearts, blameless in holiness before God our Father. At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Friends, all the scriptures are having us, the bride of Christ, his church, be holy and blameless for his return and are going to his eternal marriage feast. Third stage of the marriage. When the wedding chamber of this house was, was ready, the father would give permission to the son that he could bring his bride into the home. Frequently, the groom would set out with his groomman at night. Since the groom would arrive at any time in the evening and usually at night, the bride and her bridesmaids, they would make special arrangements. The bride was, it was a custom for the bride that when she went to bed at night, she went to bed with her, her lamp, extra oil, her, her veil, and any other things that she needed to take with her at a moment's notice. Her bridesmaids were living the same way, expectant that in the night the, the, the groom would come. When the groom and his friends did get close, they would give a loud shout. We heard about the shout and the blowing of the trumpet in the Bible lesson today from uh, Paul's letters. They would shout, here, here comes Jesus. Well, when the, they, that's off of marriage ideas. When the grooms when we come, they give a loud shout and they blow from the horn, the shafar, and announce that they are coming for their bride. And even the people in the town would hear that horn and know what's going on. I mean, they know what's happening with marriage stuff. And they'd all get out and they'd all say, hey, behold, the bridegroom comes. And it'd be like a message, one to another to another, until it finally got word to the bride. The bridesmaids would, get, would gather then around the bride. 
they would light their lamps and then they make kind of a lighted pathway so that the groom would have a lighted pathway to find his bride, make the pathway straight and give light, right? So they would do that. The groomsmen carried a canopy. It was an eight foot by eight foot uh, thing of material on posts. And they would, the bridegroom would be under that. He'd meet his bride and then they'd, they'd shelter them all the way to the house. Symbolic of just being loved and cherished and provided for and protected. And they would take that, they'd escort them to the house of, that he has prepared. Um, then when they got there in the night, they went into the house they consummated the contract. They exchanged their bodies. They did the, the marriage thing. Husbands and wives, you know what they're doing. And the next day, they celebrated for seven days. So after they had come together as husband and wife, and this could have been a year after that they made the, the agreement, right? This, it wasn't short. Typically, it was about a year. After that period had passed, they were husband and wife since that time. They consummated the marriage. They were husband, one in flesh. And then for seven days, the party's on. All the friends, all the family, eating, drinking, just celebrating all that life is because now they are together and God is with them. And here comes a family and just blessedness. Seven days. No one wanted to miss that. Okay, so now when Jesus is talking about marriage, we have an idea what's going through the minds of the people who are listening to this. We have bridged from 2020 to, you know, when Jesus walked. Returning to the gospel. Church, Jesus has come once. He has come. Jesus has paid the price to make the church his own. Jesus has entered into a covenant with us, the church. He has prepared, he has gone and prepared a place for the church. And he will come again to take those who are prepared to, to be his church, to be with him forever. The end of our gospel lesson has some interesting words, strong words. But before we get to that, I want to remind you that the Son of God made a promise. The Son of God, Jesus, made a promise to those who are following him. That, and as you think about that promise, not one time in our recorded history has God ever made a promise to his people and not kept it. Regardless if we are unfaithful, regardless if we are an adulterous generation, God kept his vows. God kept his promises to love, to cherish, and to forgive, regardless of what we return to him. So that God made a promise that I'm preparing a place and I will come and take you to that place so that where I am, you will be always. That is a promise. He will return for his bride, the church. If we've gone and fallen already in death to sleep, not a problem. We will wake with him. If he comes and we're still walking the earth, not a problem. We'll go to where he's at. But ready or not, Jesus will return for his church. Those who choose to live in righteousness, those who choose and are prepared in lives of holiness, they will be invited and, and entered into this blessed marriage feast that has been prepared. That is the promise. But the in the Bible lesson, what about the five foolish? Those who choose to live outside of holiness, those who choose to live outside of righteousness, it means they're not prepared. And Jesus tells us that they will get what they chose for all eternity. 
So today as churches, we've heard this. I guess the ending will be a prayer. And this is the prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to be prepared all day, every day. Lord, help us be prepared for your coming and the blessed new home and the new life that you have prepared for us. Oh, Lord, help us to live a life that is full of holiness and righteousness, joy, delight, peace, and all the goodness that you are. And then in that place, Lord, help us to help others to be prepared as well. Thank you, God, for your love and your promises. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for calling us here today to be in your presence among your people, to commune with you. We offer our thanks for your goodness. We offer our thanks for your love of us. We offer our thanks for the freedom and prosperity you have entrusted us with. If it gives you glory, continue to bless your church on earth with faith, obedience, a heart for you and a heart for each other. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for showing us the way of the kingdom. We give you thanks for your example of service, for the life we find in and through you. If it gives you glory, correct the error of our ways, reshape us and conform us into your image, make us to be followers of your way. Empower each of us to participate in your mission with enthusiasm and your ministry with gratitude. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Holy Spirit of God, we also ask that you empower the leaders of government and the leaders of corporations to be men and women of your will and way. Help them initiate peace and freedom and truth. Help the workers within hospitals and schools heal, bind up, and guide the humanity entrusted to them. Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you guard and guide our nation's servicemen and women wherever they are. They would sustain their families while they're away from home. Lord, in your mercy. We ask that you would bless your holy church with bishops, pastors, and leaders who have a heart to love you and serve others. We ask that you protect your church from the deceptions of the evil one so that it may shine your truth in the world. We ask that you bless your holy church with the desire and ability to be disciples of Christ and to make disciples of Christ. Give us joy in worship. Give us hope in learning. And give us purpose in serving. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, lead those who have wealth to care for the hurting. Secure those who are suffering with faith, hope, and peace. We especially pray for those we name in our hearts now. Lord, in your mercy. Into your hands, merciful Father, we commend ourselves and all for whom we pray. We will trust in your mercy. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.